What a week it's been. We started the week not sure if we would end up with a world war as Iran retaliated for the killing of one of their military generals. They were outraged at that and we were unsure for a few days what would happen. And then another news, I don't know if you saw it, but the Golden Globe Awards. Everybody has been talking about that in Ricky Gervais' opening speech where he basically offended every famous person in Hollywood and further afield. I mean, there were some things I didn't like about it. Personally, I loved most of it um, because he just tore political correctness apart. Uh, The best bit was at the end, he told a room of the most famous movie and TV stars on the planet, he said this, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. And Tom Hanks' face was just priceless at that. They were outraged. Outraged they were because nobody has ever spoken to them. And then, speaking of outrage, what about Harry and Meghan? Huh? Outrage. Outrage. I feel the outrage in the room. Prince Harry and that girl from Suits have decided that they don't really want to be part of the royal family well, they're not completely separating just yet from it because, you know, they haven't figured out a way to make millions yet somewhere else. But, uh, but they're stepping back from uh, senior royal duties and they're going to be living between the UK and the US. The only thing is that they publicised it online before they told the Queen. Uh, I think she learned about it through Facebook. And, uh, and so people are outraged, outraged. How can they treat the Queen like this? We live at a time of outrage. Uh, it's a, it's a, what's been called an outrage culture or the age of rage where everybody is offended by everything all the time. People take something that has nothing to do with them, like Harry and Meghan, and make it personally. How could they do that? Does that really affect this week for you? Does that affect the next decade of your life? Not in the slightest. And yet we're outraged. How can they do that? She's a gold digger. She just wanted to be famous anyway. Sorry, that's my own stuff coming out. That's my own therapy coming out there. I saw it coming all along. Um, I give them five years, max. Um, but anyway... The slight, some of you are offended by that. You're outraged that a minister would say that. The slightest disagreement with anyone's point of view means that we want to shame them. We want to publicly shame them until they realize how sorry they are. And if they don't repent, we'll shame them even more. They'll, we'll dig up photos from 30 years ago. We'll take Twitter comments from 10 years ago. Something you said at school. How you were dressed in a school play. All of these are proof that you're a right-wing Nazi who hates everybody apart from yourself and that uh, you're a sympathizer who hates minorities and therefore you should be excluded from having any voice or platform in society until you come into the political correctness line. Everyone today is a victim and everyone has got somebody else to blame for why they are the way they are. It was the way my parents, it's because of white privilege, it's because of the education system, it's because of the government, it's because of the, it's never my responsibility, it's always somebody else's. People are looking for reasons to be offended. For example, vegans, if you're a vegan here, there's prayer ministry up here after the service, if you can make, if you have the energy to come up. Um, Again, outraged, you vegans, you're outraged right now. But they have recently complained about the common use of what they call meat-based metaphors, such as bringing home the bacon and putting all your eggs in one basket. Peter suggests that bringing home the bagels as opposed to bacon would be better. And putting, instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, why not put all your berries in a bowl? Now, as somebody who loves berries, I am outraged at that. 
Why should they be confined to a bowl? It's like a mini prison for those berries. I'm outraged. Meanwhile, animal rights activists have decided that we should no longer say violent expressions like flogging a dead horse or killing two birds with one stone. Because when people hear flogging a dead horse, what's the first thing you want to do? Find a horse and beat it. I mean, that's obviously what you want to do. And killing two birds with one stone. You know, I, I, I taught my little boy that saying recently, since then he's been out with a catapult in the garden, seeing if he can do it, he hasn't managed yet. This seems ridiculous to you, I'm sure. But the thing about offense is this. Things that seem ridiculous to me are serious to you. And things that are ridiculous to you are serious to me. So things that you would go, oh, just chill out, get over it, I might be offended by, and vice versa. This can be especially bad in churches because for some reason we expect Christians to be unoffendable and we expect Christians to be people who don't cause offense. Anyone who's been at church any length of time will have been offended, probably by the person at the front because I have the most opportunity to offend you. Week in, week out, if I am up here sharing the word of God, sharing my life, sharing my strengths, sharing my weaknesses, at some stage I'm going to say something that will offend you. It might be uh, intentional, it may, it's probably unintentional. If you're speaking up here for 40 minutes a week, twice a week, you're going to say some dumb stuff at some times. Like it's just the way it is. And yet, we come into church and we think that we should be unoffended. I don't know how many people through the years have left church because of a small offense, because of a small thing that happened to them. They didn't let your child play the recorder in the worship team. They told you your kids had demons. I mean, that might not be a small thing. (laughs) Forgot to ask you how your bunion operation went. You know, they forgot your birthday. They, they looked at you the wrong way. They had the audacity to hold an opinion you didn't agree with. You know, they asked you to serve one Sunday in kids' ministry out of every eight Sundays because you've got 12 kids in kids' ministry. How dare they? The audacity. I'm going to another church where they will never ask me to serve and they'll never ask me to give and they'll never ask me to commit and they'll never ask me to do anything. And if they ever do, I'll find another church for three more months. You know, I've offended, I'm sure you've probably figured it out, I've offended a decent number of people in my time. I've had emails when I didn't respond to them. I've had handwritten letters. I've had phone calls. I've had blog posts. And I've had Facebook pages. And that's just from Christians. That's the truth. All of that has just been from Christians who've been offended. It's an age of rage when everybody is offended about everything. But this is not unexpected because Jesus said this on Luke 17. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And then in Matthew 24, he's talking about the end of the age, the end times and earthquakes and famines and wars and all that stuff. But he also says this about the end times. And then many will be offended. And as they're offended, what's the result of that offense? They will betray one another and will hate one another. The word for offense here that Jesus uses in the original Greek is the word scandalon scandal on and it has two different meanings the first meaning is this it's a stumbling block it's basically this little rock that would jut up and would trip you up if you didn't jump over it it's a little stone on the ground that if you didn't pay attention to it if you if you didn't jump over it if you didn't go around it it would trip you up and cause you to stumble and fall but the second meaning is this it's the stick and a trap the trigger that bait was placed on So you would set a trap, you would place bait on it, and the animal you would try to catch would see the bait. The bait was sitting on the scandal on, 
And the animal would go in, and as soon as it hit the scandal on, the offense, the scandal on, the trap would close, trapping it or killing it. In fact, John Bevere has a great book on offense. It's called The Bait of Satan. Because he says, Satan has been using the bait of offense to destroy Christians and to destroy churches for thousands of years. And yet we don't realize just how bad it is. This is not just uh, some, some sort of remote subject for me because I have been offended in the past at times. I have lived with offense. And a lot of the time what I do up here, a lot of the time I'm not preaching to you. I'm just, I'm just doing some therapy up here and I'm sharing it and you just get to sit in on it. And so what has God been speaking to me about? And, and it's been offense recently, to be really honest. At times I've managed to just shrug it off as you probably have. And at other times, I've allowed it to take root in my soul and in my spirit and to damage my well-being. A number of years ago, in, an, in another time and, and in another church, I went into a particular meeting with some people and I expected a certain outcome of that meeting. I had certain expectations about what would happen in that meeting. And those expectations weren't met. And I felt deeply dishonored. You see, we all have different triggers that cause offense. What would offend me might not offend you. We talked about that. And for me, dishonor is where I get offended. When I feel dishonored, I get offended. And I felt undervalued and underappreciated. And I left that meeting and I didn't say anything, but I was deeply hurt. And I remember coming home to Becky and Becky said, how was your meeting? And I, I, I told her what had happened and I had tears in my eyes. And I said what had happened. And, and, and that should have been the end of it, but I didn't let that thing go. I nursed it, I rehearsed it, I replayed it over and over again in my mind. And as I did that, all I can say is this, a sadness came upon me and a hurt came upon me. And that began to affect the way I related to that group of people, but it also began to affect the way that I related to the church overall. Something turned within me. It was like something twisted and it couldn't. The longer I nursed that, the harder it was to get it back again. And that disappointment and that sadness, I would say, ultimately led to some depression because I nursed and rehearsed that offense and it took root in my spirit and it began to destroy the life of God within me. It didn't seem like a big deal to the people there. They hadn't intended to offend me. In fact, they thought they were doing the right thing. But because I couldn't let it go, it became a stumbling block. Because I couldn't let it go, it became that, that bait of offense that I got trapped in, that I got enclosed in, and I ended up imprisoning myself in that for a very long time. But here's what I want to say as we talk about offense. Not all offenses are created equal. Not all offenses are equal. I want to be clear about this. Because as I was reading and studying this week, some people seem to be using the word offense for very serious and significant sins. That is not what... I'm talking about adultery. I'm not talking about violence or harm against you. You never hear somebody say... You'll never hear a woman say, he cheated on me, I'm offended. Or they stabbed me, I'm offended. No, that's a much more serious thing. That is not what I'm talking about here. That's a whole other sermon entirely. What I am talking about here is this. Um, I'm talking about those things in our lives that people say and do that because we don't like it, 
because we disagree with it, because it disappointed us, because it didn't meet our expectations. Therefore, we choose to dwell on it and we could easily be offended. I'm not talking about excusing and overlooking ongoing bad behavior from someone. If somebody is consistently treating you badly, if somebody is consistently putting you down or ridiculing you, you have a conversation with them, and if they don't stop it, you remove yourself from their life. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the little things that happen all of us every day in the course of life that we could dwell on and that could become places that trap us and hurt us. It can be something simple, especially in our age of social media. Technology is great, but the thing about technology, it's given us thousands more ways to be offended because everybody posts everything that they've ever thought about anything on Facebook all the time. Not just last week, another minister I know in the South who I'm friends with, kind of. Um, by friend, I mean friend from a distance. Um, by friend, I mean Facebook friend, um, which means not a real friend. Uh, he posted something about a number of, of pastors in America that I vehemently disagreed with. I was very annoyed. He basically said they couldn't be Christians because of a political view they took. And I don't care about their political view. All I care is that he doesn't think they can be Christians because they hold a political view when he holds a political view which I find deeply offensive. Okay? And so I went on. I was furious. I read this and I began to type out my response. I was, I was outraged, folks. The way you felt about Harry and Meghan, that's how I felt about this. Okay? And... Um, I started to type my rant, and I was getting, you know, I was getting them real good. And, and about two-thirds of the way through it, I went, Cooney, what are you doing? Like, really? Who cares? Like, does any of this personally affect you whatsoever? No. Do these people need you to stand up for them? No. How will this make you look stupid and petty? So just, why don't you hit the delete button? Some of you, that's a prophetic word. That delete button is on your phone for a reason. Hit the delete button. Please do not... Air your dirty laundry on Facebook. It's tacky and it's cheap. Please don't do it. That was a prophetic word as well for some of you. Do not do that. I deleted it. Thank the Lord. Because some days I'll do that and I'll wake up the next morning and I'll be like, why did I do that? In the moment, in the heat of the moment, you're offended. And all you can see is the offense, not the bigger picture. Proverbs 18 says this. A person offended is more unyielding than a strong city. In those ancient times when Jesus was speaking, or in, in Proverbs when Solomon wrote he, he, what made a city strong? Walls. The fortifications around a city made it strong. And what he's saying is this, that when you're offended, it's very hard to get through to somebody. It's very hard to change their minds. They, they block themselves off. They put up walls. They put up barriers. And they keep everyone out except those who agree with them. Isn't that what we do? When you're offended, you withdraw from a group. You become defensive. You pull away from your commitments. You separate yourself from community. You isolate yourself. You tell others about who offended you, hoping you can start a little offense club if they agree with you. And if they don't agree with you, then there you're offended with them too. You stop coming to church. You nurse the offense by replaying it over and over again in your head. You start to take that one isolated incident that somebody did and you use that to characterize their entire lives. Even though for the last 20 years there's been nothing but good and kind to you, you take that one thing that offended you and you say they always do that. They're just always nasty. I've always had my suspicions about them. We always just say that later, don't we? 
when we've been friends with them for 15 years and we've never had a suspicion, I always thought they were a bit dodgy. Always wondered about them. and never liked them. They've always been a bit weird. When you're offended, you don't think rationally. And here's the thing, the greatest opportunity comes from those who we love. The more you love someone, the more chance you have of being offended by them. Offense means relationship of some description. If one of the kids from Hope Kids comes in here and says, Craig, I've noticed you've been putting on a bit of weight. I'm not that offended as a kid. I might say, you know what, and you're ugly and I can lose weight. I mean, that's, that's, I wouldn't say that, okay, before you're outraged. I wouldn't. I'm just trying to add a bit of life to the service, okay? I wouldn't say that unless, no, um, we'll not be able to put any of them online today. Um, but right enough, if some kid says, I don't care. I don't care what a kid says. If somebody I love comes in and says something critical to me, somebody I care about, someone whose opinion matters, somebody who I love and respect says something critical to me, it hurts, it stings. I bleed just like you. Sometimes people think because we're up here at the front, we have a suit of armor on. I'm like Iron Man. I'm not. And we're all the same. There's things that people could say to us and do to us that would hurt us that other people could say and do and we'd just be like water off a duck's back. The reality is this. You will be given reasons to be offended. Unless you lock yourself up in the house and never go out, at some stage you will be around humans and humans say silly things and humans do silly things and therefore you will be offended at some stage As Christians, we're supposed to have thick skin and a soft heart. But many of us, our skin is too thin and our hearts become hard. But here's the good news. You don't have to live offended. Even if offense is given, it doesn't have to be taken. You can choose not to be offended. How? Let's look at this. In Matthew 10. Jesus is sending the disciples out. They've been with him for many months. They've watched him preach, teach, and heal. They've watched him do miracles. And he, for the first time, sends them out to do this stuff themselves, to go into the towns and villages and cities and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he gives them precise instructions about what to preach, what to do, where to go. But he also gives them precise instructions about what to do if they're offended, because he knew that they would be offended. He says this, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, have a strop, have a sulk, burn their house down. Don't talk to them for six months. No, he says, leave that home or town and just shake the dust off your feet. Just shake the dust off. And for Jews at that time, they would have known what this meant because when a Jew went into Gentile territory, when a Jew had to walk through Gentile territory, when they came back home, as they reached the border of Israel, they would stop at the border and they would shake the dust shake the dirt off their feet. Why? Because they didn't want to contaminate the promised land with Gentile dirt and dust. They didn't want to take their past into their future. They didn't want to take the filth and dirt that they considered uh, to, be, to be defiled into a place that they considered to be pure. And so Jesus takes this practice and he says that's how you should respond when people offend you, when they reject you, when people don't welcome you, when people don't uh, give you the response that you expect, just shake it off. He, he, he says, if someone doesn't welcome you or listen to you, just shake it off. I feel the spirit of Taylor Swift coming on me right now. Instead of trying to dissect and go over and over in your mind why people don't love you, 
go over and over in your mind, why would they look at me like that? Why would they speak to me like that? Instead of spending hours nursing your wounds, just shake it off. Shake it off your feet. Don't carry it with you. Don't carry the dust of offense into your future. Don't carry the residue of that hurt into your destiny. Otherwise, every season of your life will be contaminated by that one incident that happened back then. Shake it off. Because you don't want that dust to become a distraction or even a destruction to the destiny and the good future that God has for you. As you go through life, the reality is this. Not every argument will get resolved. Not every disagreement will get resolved. People will not always say sorry when they hurt you. And so therefore there's a potential for offense and therefore we need a strategy for offense. And here's the strategy. Shake it off. That thing which is trying to stick to you, shake it off. Because if you don't, it will contaminate your spirit and it will grow and it will, it will fester and it will become something that could take you off course for what God has for you in your future. Our little boy, Elijah, he, he loves Nutella. I mean, he just loves he, like Nutella for breakfast. I mean, Nutella every day. He just, if we run out of Nutella, like he literally starves. Like it just, I mean, when we go for lunch on a Saturday, he has a, a croissant, Nutella, and a sausage. Like a sausage with Nutella. I don't know how that works together. Uh, and, and, and yesterday he, he had a, a croissant and he was covered, his face was covered in Nutella and his hands were covered. And he went to run towards me and said, give me a hug and kiss dad. And I'm like, just back off. Just back up, son. Go to the bathroom, wash your hands, wash your face, and then I'll give you a, a cuddle and a kiss. Why? Because the sticky stuff that's on him is going to get all over me. And it's the same with, uh, with offense. It sticks to us. And unless we wash it off quickly, everywhere we go, we're going to carry that offense with us. And it's going to stick to other people. And it's going to stick to our new friendships. And it's going to stick to our new relationships. And it's going to stick to our new churches. And we're going to wonder why everywhere we go is contaminated. Because you're contaminating it with your offense. It affects you. It infects you. And it pollutes your relationships. It contaminates churches. It makes a mess of marriages. It can ruin your job. And it can multiply over time beyond the original offense. Have you found that ever? That small things become much bigger the more you dwell on them? I, I, I've, there's two funerals I've done over the years, not here, but in my first church, where the police had to be called to funerals because the family came to fisticuffs at a funeral. And it was because offenses from the past had never been dealt with. And they'd never had to sit in a room together. And because a loved one of both parties has died, they're now in the same room. And they can't handle it. And if you were to go back to the original incident, you would go, really? Really? That's what happened? And you haven't spoken to your sister for 42 years because of that? And we point the finger, and yet for some of us in our own hearts, we can be carrying those things. And they become a lens through which we see life. They begin to, 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 to affect how we see new relationships, how we see church, how we see new people in we, the workplace. Everybody we see through this lens of offense. And we begin to get suspicious and we begin to reject them before they reject us. And we begin to expect very little from people. Yesterday I was, he did it again yesterday, Elijah was talking about, I was talking about how we use pound coins now and how we used to use pound notes. 
And he looked at me again and he said, you mean in the olden days, daddy? And I'm like, that's like something you say to great grandparents, you know? I mean, and, and he's always, I said this a few weeks ago, he's always talking to me about the olden days and making me feel offended and, uh, uh, and outraged at him. And, uh, but, but we were talking about different things. And I said, you know when we used to go on holidays, we used to bring a camera with us? He'd be like, yeah, your phone. I'd be like, no. A camera son, like a real physical camera. And he looked at me like he had, I was speaking Chinese. And I said, we used to have a camera. And before you'd go on holidays, you'd go to the chemist. You'd go to Connors. You'd get a film. You would, it would be 24, 36 exposures. And, uh, and then you would go on holidays. And you wouldn't waste them because you only had 24, 36 exposures. You didn't have time to take 87 selfies and pick the right one and delete the rest. You only had 24, 36 exposures. And then you would come home from holidays and you'd take in 21 photos and so it would sit in the drawer for a while and somebody would say, you're not getting those pictures developed. And so that's why in some of your, uh, your pictures you've got like the most random, you've got all these 21 holiday snaps and then a picture of the side of your house or your neighbor's car. And you're like, we were trying to use up the film so we could get them developed. And then you'd go along to the chemist, you'd put them in an envelope, you'd write your name on it and then you would hand them over for three or four days so somebody could see your most private personal moments. Then you would go back and collect them and pray to God Almighty that the person at the desk was not the person who had developed them. And then you would bring them home and you would all gather around to look at your snaps and some of them would be good and you'll be like, oh, wasn't that great? Wasn't Magaluf wonderful? Oh, look at that. And then you'd be like, but why is there a big white dot in the corner? And why is there these big white rays coming out? It wasn't because there was an angelic heavenly host in the room. It was because a bit of dirt or a bit of dust had gotten onto the lens. There was a scratch on the lens. And if the lens was scratched, if there was a bit of dirt on the lens, that would affect the filter through which every picture was taken. And that's a picture of what happens in our lives. When that dirt, that dust of offense, of critical, having a critical spirit of negativity comes upon us, we begin to see everything through that. Everything gets distorted. Everything gets damaged. Everything gets out of place because of that bit of dust, that bit of dirt of offense that we haven't dealt with. And we begin to be suspicious. We begin to be angry. We begin to, to be uh, uh, doubtful about everybody because of that bit of dirt and that bit of dust. If we just have cleaned the dust... If we'd just have taken time to get rid of it, it wouldn't have affected everything else. I love what one pastor, Craig Rochelle, says. He says, your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended by small things. I love that. That's a word for some of you this morning. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to get offended by small things things. Sometimes people come to me and they'll share something that they're stuck in their life with, that they've been stuck in an area of their lives and they can't move forward in their relationship with God. And as we delve a little bit deeper, they'll talk about something that happened to them, an offense. And I'll say, when did that happen? And they'll say, 18 months ago or five years ago or 26 years ago. And I look at them and I go, you're allowing that one thing from your history to control your destiny. You're allowing your past to be dragged into your future. You're allowing that bit of dirt, that bit of dust that is so small and insignificant. I know to you it's a big deal, but in the bigger scheme of things, it's not that important. You're allowing that to put you into an emotional prison and you have the key to get out, but you're choosing not to use it because you're right. You're justified. 
you're trapped in an emotional prison and the hurt festers and it grows and it sucks the life out of them and it leaks into every relationship they have. And then they go to other places and they begin to hurt other people and offend other people because they're carrying that with them. And they keep changing jobs and they keep changing churches and they keep changing jobs and they keep changing churches and they keep changing and changing and changing because they're looking for that place where they won't be offended. And they're not offended for three months and then they are and they move somewhere else. And they keep looking when actually the only common denominator in the whole thing is them. It's not the bad people in every church in the 20 mile radius of here. It's not the bad people in every workplace in 20 mile radius. The problem is the offense in their hearts that they haven't dealt with. You do not have to hold on to offense. You're not a slave to your emotions. You're not at the mercy of every feeling you have. Look at what Proverbs 19.11, we're nearly done here. Proverbs 19.11 says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. And then this, this is important. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now the word for overlook in Hebrew here literally means to pass over or to rise above. Imagine you're out jogging around the lakes, okay? For some of you that'll take a more imagination than others. But imagine, imagine you're jogging around the lakes, okay? And you're jogging and you're, you know, you're full speed, you've got your headphones in and a little scrappy dog runs out in front of your path. Do you stop and analyze the dog and shout at the No, you just jump over it. You just jump over it and you keep on going. Why? Because you don't want to be distracted. You have somewhere you're going. You have a mission. You have a purpose. You have a direction. You just hop over it. You leap over it. That's what that word overlook means here. That when you're offended, it's like that little strappy dog. You just jump over it and you keep on going because you've got a mission. You've got a direction. You've got a purpose from God. So keep on going. Rene Descartes, a philosopher, said this. Whenever, I like this. Whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense can't reach it. Whenever anyone offends me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense... What he's saying is, it's a bit like when you're on an airplane. As you get higher, everything gets smaller. That when you're offended, those things that down here seem so big, if you raise your soul high enough, because the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. As you raise your soul high enough and realize what that really is, how small and insignificant, those things become small and they take on their proper place in your life. Rise above offense. Those little rocks, those stumbling blocks that would cause you to trip and stumble, rise above it. Why? Because your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When people hurt your feelings, when people overlook you, when people unfollow you on Facebook, when you followed somebody for the last six months and liked all their posts, but they didn't even wish you happy birthday on Facebook on your birthday, you know what? Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When you feel underappreciated, undervalued and misunderstood, Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When you send someone a text message and they don't respond for three days, even though you can see by the two wee texts they've read it, don't be offended. Rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. When someone has the audacity to disagree with you or have a different opinion than you on a subject, rise above it. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. And here's the other thing to remember, and this is, I have found this really helpful. Sometimes the thing that was said or the thing that was done that was hurtful and offensive has nothing to do with you whatsoever. They're just having a bad day. 
you just happen to be there and you have no idea what they've gone through in the last week, the last few hours, the last month. You just happen to be there and therefore you end up offended. In fact, I would say the vast majority of things that we get offended about have actually nothing to do with us. But they're to do with how the person's feeling about themselves. What's just happened to them at work? The message they've just received. The test results they're waiting to get back. The fear and apprehension they have about something coming up next week. The sadness about being dumped by their boyfriend or girlfriend. The pain of losing a loved one six months ago or six years ago. That you think they're over by now but they're still broken and grieving inside and they're just having a bad day about it. You think it's all about you when actually the way they have just spoken to you is nothing to do with you. It's to do with them and their own hurt. Because here's the thing, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt other people. And here's the other thing that I found really helpful when somebody does something that offends me. Every single one of us has had five minutes of madness. Some of us have had five years of madness, okay? Five decades, some of you. But all of us, all of us in this room have had those five minutes of madness at some point in our lives that if we were to be judged by those five minutes, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. Oh, you're a bunch of... Well, you are a bunch of saints, actually, aren't you? The Bible says that. We have all had those moments where we have said things and you go... Like, that is so not me. You've done things that have been completely contradictory to your beliefs, to your character. We have all had those moments of madness that if our life was to be judged by those, it would not go well for us. And yet we can extend grace to ourselves because here's what we do. When those moments of madness come, we say, that was the exception. That's not the way I am. That's not my character. And we give ourselves a Bible. But when somebody else does it, we say, that's just how they are. That's just their character. That's their personality. They've always been nasty. And we show ourselves grace and we show them judgment. And I want us to simply extend the same grace to other people as we would want extended to us under similar circumstances. In my 20s, I lived in Ohio for two years working in, in, in marketing. And I remember one day I came home from work and I was sitting in the living room and there was a big glass patio door. And I, I heard uh, like a scratching noise, just a wee scratching noise on the door. And I, I wondered what, and I looked and there was a skunk at the window. Now, anyone who knows anything about skunks, first of all, they stink. Okay, they, like you can, if you're driving along a road and a skunk has spread, you can smell it for miles. It's, you'll be like, what is that? And you'll realize it's at some stage in the last few days, a skunk has spread. The second thing is it's a defense mechanism that they use if they're frightened. And so you, it wasn't like I could go out and start kicking the skunk and banging the window. You didn't do that, no. But you don't want it to stay there either because the longer it's there, the more chance it has of spraying it and somebody else scaring it and your house will get covered in the stinky, most putrid stuff. So what you had to do was go to the window and really gently just tap it. Just slowly and gently just tap it and get its attention and realize, make it realize it's not going to be harmed. Just tap it. And eventually that's what we did. And it just wandered off. And went somewhere else. And I began to think, you know, we rush into some things. We charge into things. We overreact to things. And if we would just step back and just tap it. Just step back and think about it. Just step back and not be so forceful. Just step back. I, my, my response typically is to overreact to things. And I'm learning to just step back. 
That's what I do. I overreact. If you bring a nine, I'll bring a 12. If you bring a pistol to the fight, I'll bring a, a, a nuclear weapon. You know, like, like that's, and I, so I'm having to learn just to step back. Step back. Because everything that I think is a big deal in that moment, I realize a month later was really not that big a deal. And yet it's triggering me. We all have triggers. I shouldn't allow those things to trigger me. The Bible says this, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. And then it says this, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must, not you should, but you must forgive others. Make allowance for other people's faults. They're human just like you. They will say and do stupid things just like you will say and do stupid things. Make allowance for that. Just jump over it. Just go around it. Don't let it become a stumbling block. Show a bit of grace. Instead of jumping to the worst conclusion, why don't you believe the best? Instead of continually rehearsing and replaying what they did, why don't you just release it? Why don't you just let it go? Shake it off. Get over it. Why? Because the Bible says this. We are to forgive others as we have been forgiven. How much have I been forgiven? A lot. How often have I been forgiven? Every single day. And if God in his grace would forgive me for some of the stupid, rotten, disgusting things I have done through the years, and I would hold on to that little offense that somebody else does to me. What does that say about what Christ has done in my heart? You see, maturity as a Christian is not about raising your hands. Maturity as a Christian is not about how much of the Bible you know or how often you go to church. Maturity is how you're able to forgive and overlook an offense. That's what's really a sign of maturity. I know people who have been Christians for 50 years, but they're bitter and twisted and angry about the smallest things. They're spiritual babies still. And I know people who have been Christians for six months and have more maturity because they're able to see the offenses for what they really are. And just as hurt people hurt people, here's the other thing. Forgiven people forgive people. As you have been forgiven, we forgive others. So make the decision. Don't allow small things to offend you. And here's as you make that decision. If you've been offended by somebody, if you make that decision, here's what you'll find will happen in the next few weeks. You'll go from, I'm trying to get over it. I'm getting over it. I'm over it. But it starts with the choice. I'm preaching to myself here because this is, this has been an area that I've struggled through the years, but it takes a decision and a choice. Just because offense is given doesn't mean it has to be taken. And the last thing I want to say is this. For Christians here, in our politically correct culture, while we never go out of our way to be rude, while we should never deliberately try to offend anybody, ever, simply following Jesus Christ and believing this book as the word of God will be offensive to people. And that's okay. That's okay. We're never to be rude or obnoxious, but we're never to water this thing down. We're never to make it say things that it doesn't say. We're never to shrink back from preaching the gospel because people might be offended. We're never to stop speaking about Jesus Christ as being the only way to God. We're never to stop pointing people to Jesus from other faiths. Some people say that's offensive. I don't care. I'd rather do that than have them spend a lost eternity without God in hell. So that's not what I'm talking about. You know, Jesus himself was offensive. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Jesus himself knew he was offensive. The disciples come to him in Matthew 15 and this is what they say. Don't you know the Pharisees were offended by you? 
You've offended the Pharisees today by what you've said. Jesus didn't go, no, I didn't mean to. Can you get them in and all apart? No, Jesus was just like, I don't care. Because truth offends people. And that's okay. We're never to be rude. We're never to be obnoxious. But by simply being a Christian, a follower of Christ, by living a life which is not in the line with this world, but in line with the word, we're not to be politically correct. We're to be biblically correct. We're not to be politically correct. We're to be prophetically direct. That's what God calls us as his people. And some people will be offended. But if they're not, Jesus said this, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, those who don't be offended by the gospel, there's a blessing because they recognize Jesus. Final story. I'm sure some of you have seen the movie Black Hawk Down. It takes place in, in, uh, about a battle in Somalia in 1993 where a bunch of Americans had gone into a situation and they realized very quickly they were outnumbered and outgunned by uh, this, this, this group of militia. And they're taking heavy casualties and there's rockets and bullets being fired at them and many of them are down and dead. And this group goes in to, to try and rescue them. And the convoy of army trucks is trying to make its way back to the base under heavy gun and rocket fire. And the colonel stops the convoy. He takes in some of the wounded. He takes the dead driver out of one of the trucks. And he says to a sergeant who's bleeding, he says to him, get into that truck and drive. And the sergeant says, but I'm shot, colonel. And the colonel says, everybody's shot. Get in and drive. Everybody's shot. Get in and drive. What makes you so special? Get in and drive. And I think that's a word for some of us today. Oh, but you don't know they hurt my feelings. Everybody's shot. Get in and drive. Oh, you don't know I've been so I've been so offended. Everybody's been offended. Get in and drive. God has called us to a mission. God has called us to a purpose. God has plans for us. And life is too short and our calling is too great to be offended by small things. So just get in and drive because God has a destination and a destiny for us and we will not be sidetracked or stumble over small things. But we will press forward into the destiny and the purpose that God has placed before us. Let's pray together.